Jeff, thanks for joining us today and discussing your article on NMO, its etiology and treatment. I wanted to start by asking you, uh, you made a point that NMO and NMO spectrum disorders seem to have a higher incidence in people who are not of European origin. Are there any data to help us understand why that might be? Uh, Prem, I'm glad to join you today to uh, talk to you about these things. And you bring up a very interesting uh, dichotomy between multiple sclerosis and neuromyelitis optica, and that is um, the uh, racial uh, predilection is uh, much different for neuromyelitis optica than multiple sclerosis, where the um, majority of patients with multiple sclerosis are uh, Caucasian. And for NMO, the uh, difference in racial predilection is really uh, underdefined right now. As with most autoimmune disorders, we think that uh, they are due to a population at risk of being exposed to uh, some uh, environmental factors that may promote the autoimmunity. And the best uh, guess that we have regarding this difference in uh, racial predilection is that uh, perhaps certain uh, genetic risk factors, particularly uh, human leukocyte antigen or HLA uh, distribution, underlies some of these differences. For instance, uh, HLA um, DR2-1501 uh, uh, is the uh, single most significant genetic risk factor for multiple sclerosis but shows no increased uh, risk for neuromyelitis optica, that being a predominant allele in the ca Caucasian uh, population. Uh, it goes uh, instead that uh, DRB10301, which is the uh, number one risk allele associated with neuromyelitis optica, may be uh, predominantly uh, present in non-Caucasian populations. Interestingly, this bias may differ uh, among populations, such as uh, in a French Afro-Caribbean study, the DRB103 allele was positively associated with NMO. However, uh, there weren't enough uh, candidates with this allele in a Japanese uh, population. Uh, instead, the uh, DPB10501 allele was significantly associated with Japanese optico-spinal myelitis, uh, which is the equivalent of NMO uh, in that population. So altogether, I think the biggest hint we have to this is that HLA distribution may be driving uh, some of these uh, population uh, distributions of disease. Interesting. So it sounds like some additional study in these various populations to better define some of these antigens might be helpful. Yeah, I think once we define uh, the risk genetically uh, for NMO, as we have uh, with MS, identifying at least 51 risk alleles uh, in MS, we may have a, a better idea of uh, what's driving uh, some of these population differences. Right now, the crudest information we have is with the HLA uh, gene loci, uh, but I think additional ones will come out once we can do uh, equivalent genome-wide association studies with neuromyelitis optica. Now, one of the 
big antigens that has been associated with NMO, of course, as you wrote in the article, is uh, aquaporin-4 and the antibody against it, sometimes called NMOIG. <clears throat> and many cases of NMO seem to have NMOIG positivity, but in some cases where it is negative, there have been MOG antibodies that have been identified. And there are a couple of papers that came out recently about this. Do you think this is a different pathologic entity when it's MOG positive and NMOIG negative? And does it matter, really, in terms of how we approach and treat these patients? MOG uh, positive patients who meet the clinical uh, criteria of uh, NMO as defined by the uh, 2006 uh, Wingerchuk uh, definition are likely to be a separate disorder, uh, uh, best to be said a phenocopy of uh, true neuromyelitis optica. And my um, opinion on this uh, derives from uh, the data that was recently accumulated and presented in those uh, papers uh, that you referred uh, to earlier, uh, the Kitley paper from uh, the journal uh, JAMA Neurology, uh, just published uh, this year, as well as uh, the paper by uh, Sato and colleagues in the journal Neurology, and both looked at the um, distribution of uh, patients with MOG-positive uh, NMO and those with uh, seropositive aquaporin-4 uh, autoantibodies and NMO and compared the populations uh, with regard to their uh, disease characteristics. And interestingly, and first and foremost, there was never a patient who was positive for both antibodies. And if you consider that um, these two uh, presentations of the same, uh, quote, disorder, neuromyelitis optica, would never have any uh, uh, production of autoantibodies in common and yet be the same uh, pathologic entity, uh, that would be quite unusual in and of itself. But uh, more uh, prominently, the MOG-positive uh, patients who are seronegative for aquaporin-4 had several uh, distinct features. Uh, number one, they tended to be uh, more uh, predominantly uh, male than female, uh, different distribution than what's seen for the seropositive aquaporin-4 patients. Uh, they also tended to present more often with bilateral uh, optic neuritis as well as simultaneous uh, spinal cord and optic nerve disease. So these patients present at onset meeting the criteria of neuromyelitis optica by having transverse myelitis and optic neuritis at the same time. Even more interestingly, they tended to have uh, more involvement of the uh, conus region on MRI imaging and to have a better chance of recovery uh, with their individual events. And putting that all together, the different clinical presentation and uh, the different uh, geographic presentation combined with the improved recovery uh, suggests that you're dealing with uh, two separate entities that just happen to overlap in their clinical presentations. Even more uh, interesting fodder is that the chance that you have a second attack with the MOG-positive seronegative NMO was uh, much lower, uh, being uh, almost 
unseen in the uh, antibody uh, aquaporin four antibody uh, negative patients. So in one study, um, they had 44% relapse with aquaporin four disease and no relapse uh, uh, with the uh, MOG positive uh, disease. So quite interesting differences and. Uh, one would think that perhaps a MOG positive disease, which is a mono, uh, predominantly monosymptomatic disorder, uh, might be uh, more equivalent to a disorder like ADEM, acute disseminated encephalomyelitis. Very interesting. It will certainly, uh, I think, keep us all uh, fascinated as we go forward, seeing what unfolds from this uh, as people try to compare these two populations. Well, I think that uh, another thing that you brought up with regard to should we treat them differently is that we can now use this information uh, as clinicians uh, to test patients who may have simultaneous presentation of transverse myelitis and optic neuritis uh, to see if they're MOG positive, because if that test turns uh, positive, the follow-up to determine whether they tend to have uh, non-recurrent disease would be quite critical as we think about exposing patients to uh, fairly uh, toxic immunosuppressant medications for the long term for the treatment of neuromyelitis optica. Absolutely. That, that makes a lot of sense as we try to face those decisions. And that brings me to my last question, really, is the treatment of the disorder. Uh, you mentioned some novel therapies that might be used, such as antibodies like aquaporumab or an NMO IG uh, deglycosylation. Um, oh, at best, 60, perhaps 70% of patients who have clinical NMO will be NMO IG positive. For those patients who are IG negative, can you use these specific therapies, or is there something else that's going to be tried? What, what are your thoughts on that? I think the simple answer to the uh, question of drugs like aquaporumab that specifically uh, target patients who have anti-aquaporin-4 antibodies, this uh, aquaporumab being a competitive, uh, non-functional uh, antibody-binding uh, inhibitor to the uh, pathogenic antibodies, um, one would say that uh, that would be limited to only uh, seropositive aquaporin-4 autoantibody patients. Now, there are some patients who initially present uh, with uh, what we term seronegative disease and go on to seroconvert to having antibodies, uh, the question being perhaps our limits of detection are not uh, sensitive enough uh, to uh, give us a readout on those patients, uh, and perhaps they too might benefit. But I think uh, just by the uh, logical parameters of how that uh, therapy uh, might work, uh, it would be limited uh, uh, to using only on the seropositive patients. Things like antibody decoycosylation, uh, the uh, discovery of uh, Alan Verkman and colleagues at UCSF, that treatment of the IgG in the patient uh, serum with a, a bacterial enzyme that uh, decoycosylates the FC portion renders those antibodies incompetent to uh, direct downstream complement activation 
or antibody-dependent cell-mediated cytotoxicity. Therefore, one could come up with a method by which uh, the patient's own uh, serum, uh, hopefully in real time in some elaborate uh, plasma exchange uh, type uh, apparatus, uh, could be uh, captured, uh, treated with the uh, D-glycosylase, and then re-administered so that the patient's own antibodies would become its uh, own inhibitor uh, for it, uh, could be uh, used in patients who might have some other uh, antibody-mediated factor, even if they were uh, aquaporin-4 uh, seronegative. That hinges, however, on finding that those seronegative patients uh, have uh, a factor uh, different than aquaporin-4, a target different than aquaporin-4, which is driven by um, an antibody-mediated response. Well, it is certainly... I think, exciting to consider these types of alternative therapies for our patients, given the fact that most of what we do now, as you mentioned, is strong immunosuppression that has a lot of potential side effects. And so we've gained an incredible amount of knowledge about NMO in the past 10 years, and I think it will be very exciting to see what happens in the next 10 years. I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us today and uh, sharing your thoughts. My pleasure.